Good morning, church. How are you all doing? Are you good? Good? How are you all doing? Good. Fantastic. It's good to be here. It's good to have you here. I hope you're glad to be in church this morning. This is the place where believers can come and get reinvigorated, strengthened, encouraged by one another. And it's an awesome place to be on a Sunday morning, amen? Amen. And if you don't know anything about church, if you, don't say, if you say, I'm not a Christian, we welcome you too. And this is a place where you can hear about what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And today, I am ending off our series on 1 Peter. We've been in the book of 1 Peter for a number of weeks, and um, I have the tremendous privilege of rounding us out. And the passage that I'm dealing with today is a very important one. It deals with a very important reality that we all need to wrestle with, especially if you are a follower of Christ. If you say you're a Christian, we need to wrestle with this topic. Because when you say you are a Christian, when you say yes to Christ, whether you realize it or not, you have become part of a war. A war that has raged since the beginning of time. And because when you say yes to Christ, you have not just said yes to Him, you have said no to something and someone else. And that someone else does not like that you are Christian. So when you say yes to Christ, what that means is that a target is now placed on your back. And it means that something, someone is out to destroy you. He's out to consume you. Now, if you're thinking, Amos, you're very pessimistic. You're being dramatic. I think what I have experienced when we've gone through First Peter, I don't know if you can relate, is that when Peter is talking about suffering, persecution, and in this passage, when he talks about our enemy, Satan, the devil, it can feel very jarring for us as Christians in Australia. I don't need you to relate. Because if I'm honest, if you're honest, I think for many of us, we just don't relate to what he's talking about. We don't feel the same things that I suppose his audience would be feeling because Peter is talking to a suffering church. Do you feel like you're suffering today? For many of us, we say, no, I'm pretty good. I'm actually okay. And that's a jarring thing for us. And so we can kind of almost ignore, forget that we are actually in a spiritual war. And there is an enemy that is targeting us. And he uses various tactics to try and take us down. And what this passage is doing is Peter, the Apostle Peter, who wrote this book, is he's peeling back the curtain for us so that we are aware. So that we are aware of what's going on, so that we can be alert, awake, to what the enemy is doing against us. And so, the purpose is not for us to be scared. Rather, he wants to give us a strategy for how to deal with this. He doesn't want to just go, well, here's the reality, too bad, good luck. He wants to give us a strategy for victory. And that's what we're gonna see in this passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 to 14. I'm gonna be reading from the NASB version because I liked how it translated this passage. But following me in your Bibles, 
whatever, pas- whatever version you have. First Peter chapter five, verse five to 14. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God is opposed to the humble, the, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time having cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit or sober-minded. Be on the alert or be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. So, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers and sisters who are in the world. After you've suffered for a little while, The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Savannah, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all, why in Christ. Let us pray together. Oh Lord, as we become more aware of what is happening in the spiritual realm, may we not be so focused on our enemy, but rather may our attention be drawn to you. And Lord, I pray that may you be lifted up and glorified. I pray, oh God, may we not be unaware, but may we also not be frightened because we have the victory in you. You have all dominion, power, authority, glory, now and forevermore. And therefore, Lord, Holy Spirit, lift the Son up before us and may our eyes be drawn to him and may we be encouraged and strengthened in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of our message is Fight on Your Knees. Fight on your knees. This is our strategy for victory. There you go. Let's pray and give thanks. No, fight on your knees. I'll explain what I mean by that. But this is the strategy. This is how we win. You gotta fight on your knees. And I understand that depending on the type of trouble, depending on the type of challenges that we face in life, there'll be slightly different approaches that we will take. For example, how we approach persecution. It's slightly different to how we approach say, a demonic oppression. But the thing that unites them all, the key element that you will, will unite all approaches is this, that we ha- must fight on our knees. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Firstly, we've got to fight. We've got to fight. In verse eight to nine, it says, be of sober spirit. Or rather, I like the translation, be of sober mind. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, Satan, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. So, therefore, resist him. That word resist is an active word, is an active resistance. It's not like a passive resistance. You know what passive resistance is? It's like trying to wake someone, like trying someone to get someone out of bed. Have you ever tried to get someone out of bed? Right, you shake them by the shoulders, try to pull them by the leg and arms, you slap them in the face, you shout at them, and they're just lying there. No reaction. Are they, resi- are they resisting you? Oh yes, they're resisting you, but they're doing nothing. 
right? There's a passive resistance. This is not what this is kind of talking about. The picture that we get of this word resist is an active word. It's when it requires all of our being to be activated, prepared, ready to oppose and to fight back against this opposing force that's coming against us. It reminds me of the time that I first got tackled. First time I got tackled, can you guess how old I was? I was around 16 years old. First time I ever got tackled in my life. I remember that fateful day, it was high school, and I, it was this very sunny day, and we were forced to do physical education. And as you can see, I'm not the athlete. And I wasn't back then either. And so my strategy, whenever we played any kind of team sport, especially, and that day we were playing footy, AFL, Australian Bulls footy, is to stay away from the action as much as possible. Wherever the ball is, stay away from there, right? Without looking like a coward, right? But you stay away as a safe distance so you don't need to get involved. That was working really well until, until for some reason, the ball landed right in front of me. And I looked to my left, looked to my right, looked behind me. There was no one around. I had to pick it up. Otherwise, I looked like a loser. Right, so I, I, I had to pick it up. And so I went down to pick it up. And as I was doing so, I looked up and I saw this athlete, Mr. Athlete. You know in school, there's always this guy that personifies, embodies athleticism. That guy, that muscle-bound 16-year-old, he was charging at me like a raging bull, sprinting. And I look up and he's sprinting at me. And before I can do anything, before, remember, I've never been tackled before in my life. My strategy is to stay away from the action, but now I'm thick in the action, and this guy's charging at me, and before I can react, I'm flat on my back. First time I got tackled, and this guy knew it. This guy knew it. You know what he was doing? He was smiling. He was smiling at me. He was grinning from ear to ear, and I'm so happy. And I remember he was hugging me, and he kind of just like gave me a little tight hug, and pushed me into the ground, and almost saying, now you know, now you know, guy. And he pushed off me, got the ball, and ran off. See, I wasn't prepared to get tackled. I wasn't prepared in my, in my mind, I wasn't prepared to get in the thick of the action. See, I think some Christians, and what Peter's talking about is, he's targeting some believers that maybe have tried to stay away from the action. Stay away from the ball. Stay away from where the fighting is fiercest. As long as I stay away from there, I, I, I won't get targeted. But he's saying here, hey, wake up. Wake up, you gotta be prepared. Because if you say you're a Christian, you will get targeted. You cannot stay away from the ball. The ball will land in front of you and you will have to pick it up. And when you do, there's gonna be a testosterone-filled muscle-bound 16-year-old that's gonna come charging at you. And his name is the devil. And he wants one thing for you. He wants to take you down. He wants to take you down. He wants to consume you. And that's why it says, be of sober mind. Be prepared in your mind. And be alert, be watchful. That speaks of posture. You gotta get ready. You, get, you gotta get ready to fight. Are you ready to fight? Are you ready to fight? We've got to get ready to resist. 
because there's an enemy that's prowling around looking for someone to devour. It describes him as a lion prowling around. He's not perched up on a hill looking around and going, ah, that's a, that's a juicy prey. No, he's looking for you. He's looking, whoever's vulnerable, to devour them, to consume them. Now, Peter is not trying to scare us. He's actually not trying to scare us. In fact, if you read, if you pay attention to the entire passage, the devil is really only mentioned once. That's not the point of the passage. Rather, what he's trying to do is he's trying to wake us up. This is a battle cry. This is a warning siren. This is a, this is a call to get ready. Wake up, be alert, because we are in a war. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And just like any sports team needs to know who they're up against, then you know their favorite players, their tactics, their plays. Just like any army needs to do recon on, the, on their enemy, needs to know their strategies for, for fighting. So we too need to know the tactics that the enemy is gonna use against us. And I think there are two primary ways the enemy tries to take us down. There are two ways the enemy tries to take us down. The first is by using suffering from the outside in. Suffering from the outside in. It's very clear here in verse nine, Peter is addressing a suffering church. He's addressing Christians that are suffering. Suffering is the enemy's attempt to destroy us from the outside in whether it's through persecution, which is probably what the Christians in Peter's day and in the, in the churches that Peter was talking to and addressing, they were going through persecution of some kind, probably. They were going through social um, pressure to conform. They were being marginalized. They were perhaps even being abused by the society around them, by the culture around them for being a Christian. With persecution or maybe even various kinds of sufferings, other kinds of sufferings that we may experience, for example, sometimes we can experience mental illness that is not random. There's a source behind it. Sometimes even sickness and disease, tragedy, unexplained um, calamity that happens in our lives. Sometimes they aren't random. Sometimes they have a source. Sometimes there is a will behind it. And its goal is actually to target it against you to take you down to destroy your faith, to crush you from the outside in, to get you to question God, doubt his goodness, doubt his love for you, curse him and die. Wasn't that what Job was tempted to do? Wasn't that what suffering tried to get him to do? His wife told him after everything was stripped away from him. She said to him, why do you hang on to your faith? I'm paraphrasing. Curse God and die. And that's what Suffering tries to get us to do. Curse God and die. Just give up. Why hang on to this good God? The other way. Oh, but I must make an important clarification here. In the hands of the enemy, suffering is used for one thing, to crush your faith. But God can use any challenge any season of uh, pain, grief, and suffering, and turn it, use it, transform it for your good and His glory. Even though the enemy 
desires your destruction. God desires your redemption. And therefore, no matter what you go through, though the enemy seeks to take you down, God wants to lift you up. And it can turn any situation that we go through, no matter how dire, and use it for your good and for his glory. That's the God that we serve. But the enemy desires our destruction. That's how he uses suffering from the outside in. The second way is described in the book of James, where the enemy uses sin from the inside out to destroy us. I'll read out this passage in James chapter 4, verse 4 to 10. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says to no purpose, he jealously desires the spirit whom he has made to dwell in us? But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do you see how similar these two passages are in 1 Peter and James? Submit, therefore, to God, but resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Come close to God, and he'll come close to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. In this passage, the apostle James is confronting not sin that's destroying the church from the outside in. He's confronting sin, carnality, compromise that seeped into the church that is destroying the church from the inside out. The enemy was using the evil desires that were already present within the Christians in the church. And he was using it to destroy the church, to explode the church from the inside out. Well, let me ask you this. What tactic do you think the enemy is using against us? What tactic do you think the enemy is using against you? Now, there may be some of you who, especially if you've just accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you've just said, I am a Christian, and your family is giving you a hard time. The people that you trust, the people that should have your back, the people that you counted on to support you no matter what, they're the ones that are giving you a hard time. They're the ones that are saying, why are you serving God so much? Why do you go to church? You know, the number of times that we hear that when people want to get baptized and their family opposes it, maybe you're experiencing that. Or maybe you are going through a challenging season, a challenging season in your family where you, your faith is being crushed, where you feel as though you're getting tired. You're hanging on, but you're getting really tired. You're questioning God's goodness. You're questioning whether He really is compassionate, whether he really, he really loves you. Suffering from the outside in. Or maybe what you're experiencing is this slow compromise within your life, within your faith. Little by little, little by little, your faith is compromised. Little by little, you give in, give an inch to your friends, you give an inch to what culture says is good and acceptable. You compromise here and there. And the lines between your faith and what society says is good and right is being blurred. Now, I don't wanna make an overgeneralization here because I think the enemy uses all these tactics, different tactics against us 
to try to take us down. Let me tell you this. For some of you, he's trying to hit you hard and fast. Hard and fast. He's trying to tackle you, to crush you, and to take you out. He's trying to wear you down quickly so you give up. Others of you, he doesn't need to do that. You know um, that frogs, right? I'm sure you've heard this before. Frogs, you can boil them to death without them even knowing. Yeah? Because their bodies adapt to the temperature around them. So if you slowly put them in a pot of boiling water, uh, a pot of water, and you slowly increase the temperature, their bodies will adapt to the surrounding temperature. And they'll boil to death without any resistance. Satan is fine using a wrecking ball to someone's faith. He's also fine sticking you in a pot and boiling you to death. Either way, he wins. Second way, though, you put up no resistance. And I wonder how many Christians are out there, and especially if we feel as though, I have no idea what you're talking about, about this enemy, about it being hard to be a Christian. I have no idea what you're talking about. I wonder if, and I'm not accusing you of this, but I wonder if it may be because sometimes we are in a pot of water that's slowly being heated up and we offer no resistance while we've been boiled alive as we slowly adjust to the world's temperature around us. And that Satan, enemy, is fine using whatever tactic, as long as it consumes you, as long as the end product is that you walk away from Christ. And he's fine. And maybe some of you are thinking, and listen to me, and you go, yeah, I think I'm too far gone already. I think I've given up. I think I have backslidden too far. If the enemy is a prowling lion looking for someone to devour, I think I'm already being digested. Well, I have an encouragement for you. That even though the enemy is like a prowling lion, there is a greater lion that is out there who is our king and his name is Jesus. And he is able to rescue you no matter how far gone you think you are. No matter if you feel like you're in the very jaws of the lion, he can reach down and pull you out. There's a story of a woman called Biblis. In the second century, um, she was among a group of people that were undergoing fierce persecution for their faith. The persecutors were doing barbaric things to these men and women. And Biblis actually gave up on her faith. She actually said, I'm not a Christian anymore. She actually renounced her faith. And as the account goes, it says that the devil thought that he had already swallowed her whole. So he thought, I'm gonna make an example of her. And instead of relenting, he pushed her even further. The persecution didn't stop there. And he tried to get, the persecutors tried to get her to denounce and call out the other Christians that were in the town as well. He didn't just want to take her out. He wanted to use her to take other Christians out. And as she was being pulled on the rack, you know the rack, the, the stretching your limbs out until they break and dislocate. As she was being pulled by her limbs, is almost as the count goes, she woke up as if from a deep sleep. 
And at that point, she went, wait, no, I am a Christian. Christ is my Lord. And instead of dying a heathen, instead of dying a traitor, that day she died a martyr for Christ. And as the account goes, I'll read this. The martyr's victory was this, that the beast, the devil, should be choked into throwing up alive those he earlier thought he had swallowed. There is hope, my brother and sister, that if you feel as though you have let go of your faith, if you feel as though that you're already in the jaws of the lion, there is hope because the lion of the tribe of Judah is the greater lion and he is able to choke, to pull you out, to, to get the enemy to let go of you because he still has his hands on you. You are not too far gone. He can rescue you. You just need to wake up. You need to stir. You need to start fighting back. You need to start fighting back. Resist him. Resist him and he will flee from you. Resist him. Do something about it. You know you're being swallowed. Do something about it. Resist him. And the way we resist is on our knees. We fight. We fight, not with guns, not with our fists in the air. We fight on our knees. As 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 to 7 says, you younger men, likewise be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that He may exalt you at the proper time, having cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares about you. This tells me this. Tells me this. Humility and submission are one of the most effective weapons against the works of the enemy. Humility and submission. That is why throughout the entire letter of 1 Peter, Peter keeps talking about submission. Submit to the emperor. Submit to authorities. Slaves, submit to your masters. Wives, submit to your husbands. Younger men, younger people, submit to your church leaders. Submit to your elders. All of you, submit to one another. Why? Why does he say this? Because this is the posture of the Christian. When we are on our knees, we are the strongest. We are unshakable. We are immovable. Because as you submit to authorities, as you submit to church leaders, as, as you submit to one another, you harm yourself to one another. It's not because the person next to you is better than you. It's because ultimately you are submitting yourselves to God. You're humbling yourselves to God. <clears throat> and the way, the way we humble ourselves to God is by doing this, casting all our fears, all our worries, all our anxieties on Him. If you are able to cast all your worries, all your anxieties on the Lord, do you know how humble you have become? Do you know how dependent on the Lord you have become? Do you know if you have worries and anxieties, okay, I completely understand. But the truth is, 
it means that there is a part of you, some part of you, that still wants to hang on to that thing. Either you feel that you still have control or you want to have control of how that thing turns out. When you are able to let it go and cast it on the Lord, it means that you are giving God the control. It means that you are not in control anymore. It means that God, the outcome of that thing, that person, that event is on you. I submit myself to your will, to your mighty hands. Do you know how humbling that is? Do you know how humbling that is to live without worry, fears and doubt? That is freeing. It's also humbling. It means that you have no more control anymore. It means that if God fails, you die. Can you submit your kids to the Lord? People that you love the most to the Lord? Can you submit your financial situation to the Lord? Can you submit your future, your career to the Lord? Can you do that? Can you submit your health to the Lord? Not worrying about it anymore, but leaving it to Him. Trusting that He is mighty enough to take care of it and He loves you enough to take care of it. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares about you. Are we able to do that? That's what it means to fight on our knees, to resist the works of the enemy to the point where our entire lives are in the mighty hands of the Lord. And when we do this, listen to what it says in James chapter four, verse seven. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I can't help but think they are linked. When we submit to the Lord, we are resisting the devil. How do you fight back? You fight back by bowing your knees to Christ. How do you resist the evil desires that are within you? You submit your life, your desires to the Lord. How do you fight back against the, 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 the crushing weight of that season of, of trouble and challenging season that you're going through? You submit your worries, your, your, your doubts, your cares, to the Lord. And when you do, when we bow our knees to Christ, the devil is top, toppled off his throne. Every knee that bows in worship and submission to the Lord is one more life that the devil cannot overcome. And that is why James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Why would he flee from you? Because he can't get you anymore. A life who has, a person who has bowed their knees to Christ, truly, totally, totally dependent on Him, the enemy cannot touch you anymore. You have become unshakable. You become immovable. You become invincible. Because now, the Lord has you totally and completely. And see, when we do this, when we do this, here's the good news. This is the point, this is the high point of this passage. It's not that the enemy's out to get you, I think I've talked enough about that, but it's this, that in verse 10, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, 
will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You know, when we go through challenging seasons, when we, are, we, when we feel like we're suffering, it can feel as though we're not doing very well at enduring it. Even when you're going through temptations and you're you know, trying to resist, push back, it can feel like you're barely hanging on. It can feel like I'm not being a very good Christian here. I'm not, I'm not, my faith isn't thriving. I'm barely surviving here. It can feel as though we're barely keeping it together. But here is the promise, it is a promise, that after we have suffered just a little while, although it can feel like a lifetime when we're going through it, God himself will personally perfect that which is failing. He will make firm and unshakable that which is shaken, and he will make strong that which is weak. The picture that I get is of, when, um, of gym spotting, you know when someone spots you at the gym? Now, when I used to go to the gym, as you can tell, been a while, but when I did go to the gym, um, I would do this exercise called the bench press. You know what the bench press is? You lift the bar over your chest, push it up, yeah. So when you lift a particularly um, heavy weight that you're not sure that you can manage, you get someone, a friend or someone to come and spot you. Basically what they'll do is they will stand by you and get ready to catch the bar and help you lift it up if you start failing. And I remember there'll be many times when I'd be busting out a set and I'd be halfway through and I'd be like, oh, the bar's slipping. My muscles are failing. My arms are shaking. I, I can't, I don't think I can get it up anymore. And it's at that point when I think I'm going to be crushed by that weight that my friend, Pastor Dave Wong, the handsome pastor of FCC, reaches out his mighty hands and he grabs the bar and he lifts it up and he says encouraging words to me. He says, keep going. Keep pushing. Just one more. One more rep, you're almost there. And he helps me lift that bar. I can't help but think that, I wonder if that's how God feels. And I wonder if that's what we go through. You know the worst thing that you can do when you're, um, when you're um, benching is to let go of the bar. Can you imagine if you let go of the bar? You're done. You get crushed, right? That's the worst thing you can do. The one thing that you can do when you, your muscles are failing, when your arms are shaking, is to hang on. My goodness, as long as you hang on, you don't get crushed. As long as you hang on, don't worry, someone will come and help you pick it up. And church, that's what the Peter is saying to us. All you need to do is hang on. Hang on. Hang on to the bar. For goodness sake, do not drop it. The moment you drop it is the moment you get crushed. As long as you have your hands on the bar, even if it's slipping, even if it's at your chest, even if every part of you has failed, as long as you keep your hands on the bar, God himself with his mighty hands, mightier than Pastor Dave Wong, will come and he, he's not here, he's on vacation. Hello, Pastor Dave. You can't do anything. So, he will come and he will strengthen you. He will lift it up. 
He will strengthen you when you are failing. He will help you lift the burden that you cannot bear. Church, there are things that we go through in life. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Did you think that that trouble would be manageable? Did you think it would be easy to bear? Or do you think that it would be just that little bit hard, that little bit difficult, that you would need the Lord to come and strengthen you, to come and make you strong, to come and help you carry the burden. Church, you are not alone. God has got you. God is standing there, and I know that when we're going through those seasons, that I can feel that God has forgotten you, that your spotter, that who should have had your back, has left the building. God, where are you? I'm, 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 I'm dying here. You're meant to lift up that bar. And God's saying, just a little while. Just, just a little while. And I will come personally, and I will strengthen you, I will redeem you. I will make, I will establish you. And I will make you strong. I will do it. But you just need to hang on. And we can trust him. We can trust him because he cares for you. He cares for you. Even if your circumstances tell you differently. Even if you feel as though he's ignored you. God loves you. Can you imagine how difficult it would have been for Peter's hearers to hear this? They are going through suffering. It's very real. It's imminent. It's right at their doorstep. And he's saying, hang on. God's coming. Hang on. God's coming. That's exactly what he's calling them to do. As mighty and as scary as this prowling lion is. I don't want us to miss what it, what it says here. What Peter almost ends with. He says, all dominion, all dominion, power, glory is his forever and ever. Amen. Church, with a Sermon like this, we can get all caught up with, oh my goodness, the enemy is out to get me. That's not what I'm, I want to leave you with. I want you to be aware of what the enemy is doing. But I want to leave you with an encouragement that God has the victory. We sang song after song about God having the victory. That God is the one on the throne. God is the one who is victorious. He is the one who has triumphed. Therefore, church, if you're gonna depend on anyone, who are you gonna depend on? You? Or the one to whom all power, dominion, authority, glory, honor, and praise belongs forever and ever. Amen. Church, that is the one we turn to. And that is the one that we bow our knees to. Therefore, we fight on our knees, bowing to the Lord, submitting ourselves to Him totally and crying out to Him.
for help. That is what we do. And we do it together. We do it together. Peter makes a point to encourage and comfort the Christians by saying this. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers and sisters who are in the world. You are not alone. You are not alone. And that is precisely why we gather like this. Even if you're online, watching online, you are not alone. Similar experiences of hardship, suffering, temptations even, are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. And church, the reason why we gather like this every single week, the reason why we're in our connect groups every other week is because of this. We need to journey with one another. We need to support one another. We need to fight together. We need to fight together. And that is what I want us to do this morning. I want to spend a moment to fight together, to strengthen one another, to encourage one another, to spur one another on to love and good deeds, to persevere in our faith. So church, I invite the worship team up. And can I get us to stand this morning? I want to open this place up here in front. I want this to be the battle line where we fight today. <clears throat> if you are um, undergoing a difficult season in your life where you f- you, the pressure is on, we want you to fight on your knees. Come and bow to the Father. Submit to Him and come. Let's fight together with you. Maybe you are, have been losing ground in your battle against sin and temptation. Or maybe you've just been struggling with something. Today is the time you fight on your knees. Resist him. Resist the enemy. Don't let him win. And watch as he flees from you. Put the Lord back on his throne and see how the devil is toppled from his. Church, and that's what I want us to do this morning. The church, as we sing this song, let's respond by fighting on our knees in prayer and submission to the Lord. Come, let me pray and we'll respond. Oh Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you are on the throne, that the Lion of Judah reigns. There's no one like you. And oh Lord, we know that you are the victor. Therefore, we are not dependent on ourselves. We're not dependent on our own strength. But Lord, we look to you now. And Lord, we ask you, Lord, on our knees to fight for us. The battle belongs to you. And therefore, Lord, whatever circumstance we're going through, whether it's a battle with sin, whether it's a battle with cancer, whether it's a battle with a diagnosis, whether it's a battle with a mental illness, whether it's a battle with our colleagues who are, who are gossiping against us, whether, whether it seems like a battle against our family who, who doesn't want us to continue on in our faith, regardless of what it is. Lord, we want to fight, not with words, not with a pen and paper, not with guns drawn, but on our knees, crying out to you, because the battle belongs to you. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing the song, I invite you up to the front.